This episode is brought to you by Ravenheart Forge. Don't want to take a sword to the face? Then you need a quality buckler by Ravenheart Forge. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and disability within HEMA. Joining me today is the Academy of Steel's own Helena Coco Verjard, also an administrator of HEMA in Pajamas. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, well good. I've had a lot of coffee, so I'm ready, <laughs> you know, for the day. I <laughs> I think I have had maybe two hours of sleep, if I'm being generous. So yeah, I'm raring to go. You're ready? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've been listening to um, an audiobook on sleep actually, and it's like way more important than I thought it was. You know. Um, I used to think like, ah, if I get like, you know, three, four hours of sleep a night, it's fine because eventually my body's just going to say, no, enough's enough. And then I'll sleep for like 14 hours or something and then I'll recover that sleep. But apparently that's, that's not how it works. No, see, I, I kind of have the opposite issue where I'm telling my body that I need to sleep and my body's saying, or you could just stay awake. And it, it, I mean, obviously it doesn't help because I'm prone to dislocations and everything. So, you know, I, I do so much to sit up and something pops out of place. Um, so I think that is part of what stops me from falling asleep very easily. But it's really very annoying, to be honest, because I'm so tired. I can't remember the last time I got eight hours sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like I, I used to sort of be like, ah, it's it's fine, like you know, um, and then like I said, I started listening to this book because I listen to a lot of audio books when I'm training, um, you know, just to help like pass the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listening to this audio book and it's like, oh yeah, if you don't get like eight hours of sleep, it's. Um, like not to scare you or anything because obviously you have to <laughs> I was going to say really it's now the time for that <laughs> yeah, um, but it's like if you don't get full sleep and you don't like enter uh, an REM state um, then you know and you're not going into dream state then it, it plays havoc on your psyche and I won't go into the details or anything um, existential but, crisis yeah I mean eventually you're gonna go crazy but uh I mean that ship has long since sailed am I right yeah I was gonna say what do you mean eventually <laughs> you know me yeah yeah so I mean one of the things that I found um uh, really interesting is like it talks about you know because obviously uh I I've mentioned this to you I am a night owl like yes. I I, like I can't I can't do anything in the morning um I mean you and I meet up for coffees a lot before I go to well before I went to work um and that was like 10 o'clock in the morning 11 o'clock and I'm still like <laughs> you know I resent yeah, I mean, a little bit <laughs> <laughs> to be honest when we first 
started meeting up for coffee at that sort of time in the morning, I also resented it because I was like, why, why did I agree to this? I, <laughs> I don't have to be anywhere today. Why, why am I getting out of bed? Especially once I moved from one part of Cardiff to another, because the place where we met up for coffee went from being, you know, like a 20 minute walk away to being an hour away. And yeah. yeah, I was having to get out of bed and get ready and go in the horrible weather on my days off to meet you for coffee, which, you know. In the horrible weather, it was <laughs> fine when we were meeting. <laughs> like, it was normally, you know, all right, it was a bit brisk, but it was dry. Yeah, but you forget, I, <laughs> ish, yeah. Um, yeah, but you forget I am just a bag of bones, so I don't really have much insulation. So when it's cold, I am freezing. Yeah, that's fair enough. I get cold. Actually, I get cold uh, quite easily, to be honest. And I thought, because I lived out in Kazakhstan for a year, and I was talking to, um, you know, I was talking to Kian about this recently. Basically, there was a point where during the winter, I went to meet, uh, I went to meet Melissa and I went to a train station and the cold was so severe. It was like it was like I was being cut, like it felt like knives, you oh. know, um, and I was wearing so many layers. And I thought to myself, I, I remember getting on the train eventually because I was waiting out in the snow and the, and the wind and everything. And I. I remember getting onto the train and just hugging myself, you know, and like trying to heat myself up. I, I was wearing two pairs of gloves, had no feeling in my fingers. And I remember thinking, I, I'll never be warm again. Right. And then I came back to Britain and, um, you know, I had winter in Britain and I was like, ah, oh, this is fine. And I was hanging out in like a T-shirt, you know, <laughs> during the winter in Britain. I'm like, this is nothing like this. This is fine. Um, and I thought to myself, no, like, you know, I've acclimatized to what real cold is now. But then I went to live out in the Mediterranean, you know? Oof. Yeah. Where it's, <laughs> so you're you know, sort of back to where you started then, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. So now I come Balanced here and out. it's like, you know, it's a mild day and I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm freezing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I get cold. Uh, I get cold pretty easily as well. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's, you don't really have much like in terms of the weight that you do have on you you you're very lean um and i think that's definitely a factor in that yeah i think it is um yeah i'm a bit of a racing snake as my grandfather usually says um <laughs> so yeah because i mean that's like that's the thing i during the first lockdown, I put on a bit of weight and I was quite unhappy with it because it wasn't it wasn't good weight. Um, I think I talked to you about this <laughs> on my 31st, 32nd birthday. Um, yeah, my 32nd birthday, because we went into lockdown last March. And a couple of months later, I had my birthday and Melissa was feeding me this cake. Well, not feeding me. She'd made me a cake. I was feeding myself. Right? <laughs> but um, I was, yeah, I was sat there and there was like, for the first time in my life, there was like a little bit of overlap over the belt line, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh, just no. a tiny bit, but enough just, to notice. Yeah, exactly. I was like, uh, like enough to cast a shadow, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, no, I'm not having this. So I started training. Um, yeah, I started training again, like training properly. Um, 
and I've sort of been all right since. I've I've like kept it off at the very least. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably nowhere near where I was before lockdown when I was, you know, obviously running the academy three nights a week and then uh, training as much as possible. But uh, I mean, a lot of people have had to sort of stop training because of lockdown, but that's something you'd know a thing or two about, right? Yeah, I mean, I've spent most of my time since discovering HEMA not doing HEMA. Yeah, yeah, I, um, well, obviously, you know, I've got a bunch of health issues, including something called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a genetic disorder which causes joint dislocations. It makes basically everything very fragile. It messes with your proprioception. It's it's a whole host of issues. And yeah, because of that, I haven't been able to train as regularly as I'd like. But I'm hoping that because I'm starting up physio now, officially at the hospital and everything, um, I'm hoping that by the time classes start up again, I can just sort of sneak back in and pretend I was never gone, you know? Yeah. I think because of the, like, because of the fact that you keep, you know, you keep with this intention of training, um, you know, despite the fact that you do pop and lock, you know, (laughs) um, you have taken part in tournaments and you've actually come away with you know uh you've you've placed in those tournaments you've come away with medals in some of those tournaments and the fact that you've been able to do that and the fact that you have like i said this intention to continue training um i think that probably puts you up there for like most dedicated humorists i know (laughs) um which is you know which is which is great um what's your motivation like what what what's the thing that makes you think now i want to train Oh gosh, okay. Gotta think about it now. I I don't I don't think I've ever known you to actually pause and think about something you ask. <laughs> yeah, I usually just sort of yeah. spill words out. That's kind of a stream of consciousness going. thing, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, yeah, this is this is a new experience. Well, I think part of it is the fact that you know, ever since I was a kid, obviously, I loved Lord of the Rings, and I loved loads of other things, which I'm blanking on right now, so I'm just gonna go with Lord <laughs> of the Rings, <laughs> but yeah, I I liked that whole aesthetic, you know, and everybody as a kid loved the idea of doing archery and learning how to sword fight, and for people in HEMA, that desire didn't go away, and when we found out that we could actually do that as adults, we were like, well, hell yeah, you know? Um, so I think that was that was part of what got me into it in the first place. But then in terms of keeping with it, despite the millions of obstacles, um, well, firstly, I just... I, you know, I enjoy HEMA. It's a fun way to exercise. It can be grueling, but it's... 
I feel like HEMA is something where whether you're doing tournaments or you're just sparring or even if you're just doing drills in your garden, you can sort of see your progress in quite a nice way. And that's something that's definitely helped because whether it's, you know, oh, I can do this drill for a bit longer or, oh, I actually got a hit on this instructor for once, you know, it's, it, it's nice to see that. Um, but I think a large part of it is actually the community because I've done other sports and things in the past and yeah, they've been, they've been decent, but a lot of the stuff that I've done has been, it, it, it's been solo stuff. I don't tend to do team stuff, um, mostly because with my joints and everything, I don't want to be letting an entire team down. And yeah, with HEMA, even though it's, even though it's solo to an extent, because obviously it's about what you are doing, you're not working with someone else unless you're doing like unit combat um everybody is working together you know you've got the instructor and you know the rapport that the instructor has with the students is really important and the the level of camaraderie with students within different clubs is something that I haven't seen really in other sports and everybody's really supportive and you know we've got loads of Facebook groups for HEMA and uh, yeah so everybody's sharing tips and tricks and they're sharing memes and you know people are supporting each other through the good times and the bad times and yeah I think so I think a lot of it for me is the fact that I've become so involved within this community that I want to do the exercise and I want to do it for myself, but also I want to do it because I enjoy being part of that community and I enjoy seeing how I'm progressing. I enjoy seeing how other people are progressing and, you know, it's just nice to fight people, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of really get to know somebody when you fight them. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's quite a bizarre thing, but like, I, I think you could know somebody for like five years and then in five minutes learn more about them in the way that they fight. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, th that's the thing. Like, So community, I think the, the HEMA community is pretty special um, because I've been doing martial arts pretty much my entire adult life and um you know as a teenager as well and uh there you know there are sort of like cult-like behaviors that I've encountered in in um some you know martial arts communities and um you know there's there there are very few you know, there are there are sometimes you get hints of that in the HEMA community, but not not usually. It's like, um, uh, you know, normally the founder of a martial art is kind of given this almost uh, legendary veneration. You know, so the the kind of people that in uh, you know the the kind of people who kind of um, 
other progenitors to Kung Fu or Aikido or whatever, they're, you know, they're usually given this kind of like almost mythical status. And now and again, you do get people that, like I talked to in the HEMA community who are like, oh yeah, you know, Johannes Lichtenhauer, he, he, he did this thing. Or like Fiore, he was like, and I'm like, nah. he was probably just a guy who was pretty good at fencing. You know what I mean? Like decided to make a living out of it. Yeah, exactly. He was probably better at fencing than most of us, you know, because <laughs> he could actually dedicate more time to it, you know, like day in, day out. But um, th there's not a lot of that. I mean, there's, a, you know, for, for the most part, when you do encounter people, when you talk to people like Keith Farrell or Matt Easton, you know, these, these people who are big, big names in the HEMA community, they're usually like really down to earth um and that's yeah. that's really nice yeah i was actually quite surprised because i, I mean when i first joined hema everyone was talking about like fran for example who i think you did an episode with previously yeah. um and everyone was talking about her and the fact that she runs the school of the sword and the fact that she runs all of these events and i was just like wow okay this this woman sounds intimidating and I meet her and she's, you know, <laughs> half my height and really lovely and welcoming and yeah, one of the nicest people. So that, that <laughs> it's not that I expected her to be horrible or anything, but I think when you just hear about people all the time without actually getting to know them, you do sort of build it up in your head it's like you said it's like a sort of mythical status and then when you actually meet them it's like oh, okay you're just a normal person like me <laughs> yeah bit of a nerd even like you know. yeah, yeah yeah um yeah that's that's quite fun um like because i i've had that you know i had that in reenactment where you'd get you know because i did reenactment from like the age of 19 and you'd get people uh sort of there and I'm uh, you know and they're like I'm Rothgar and blah 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 and then you get somebody in the background going yeah shut up Steve um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think uh, you know a lot of people have come into Hemo from reenactment um, and it's sort of developed that way at the very least I know that that's kind of like the AHF's journey towards it I know that that's like um, uh, a, a few people I know who've been in HEMA since before it was HEMA, they kind of came from that. So I think that that, that grounded down to earth mentality has hopefully come, you know, has come across from that and, and will continue. I think things like um, HEMA in pajamas, because that's a <laughs> yeah shout out to Humor in pajamas. That's uh, you know that's shout a out to my group. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a group that you uh, you're one of the founding members and administrators and you know yeah I think that's <laughs> yeah just evil overlord friendly yeah. admin you know same thing yeah um yeah it's it, it it's a nice community obviously all facebook groups have some level of drama because someone says something they shouldn't at some point but um i think there was a post that i approved i think it was this morning actually um where someone it just casually in their post mentioned that 
Hema in pajamas is the best Hema Facebook group. And I was just like, oh, my heart. <laughs> That's <laughs> where you're like, oh, I'll approve that. Go on then. <laughs> yeah, like I don't even care about the rest of what you said. This is fine. <laughs> Flattery yeah. will get you everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even read the rest. It was, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think I think it's really good because I, I'm part of a, uh, a number of Facebook, uh, Hema Facebook groups. I'm usually quite, quiet on most of them i just like reading stuff um because there was something i was reading by um keith farrell recently an article um that he'd written and it was like you know uh, coming back to hema after lockdown and like getting your motivation back and it was targeted mainly towards instructors I think, because I think he's like worried that people like certain instructors will will have had a year off pretty much uh, like a forced year off. But they'll be like, holy shit, like I've got all this time, you know, they're, this is great. They're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're doing things like they're discovering old hobbies. They're building ships in pools. <laughs> they're, you know, they're they're reconnecting with their kids or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, um, that, you know, I think he's a little bit worried that people are just going to go, oh, fuck, you know, fuck Hemo, we're not coming back to that. So, I mean, I think in terms of instructors as well, you've got the fact that usually instructors have to focus. I mean, obviously, you can tell me whether or not you agree with this because you're an instructor. Um, but a few instructors that I've spoken to have said that um they do have some anxieties around the fact that they're not practicing their own fencing as much because they're focusing so much on developing their students um which you know is uh you know it's good that they're doing um but i think for some people because there is that sort of mindset of you know I need to focus on them more than me and not giving themselves enough time to train with everything else they've got going on. I think having this break might actually reaffirm their love for HEMA because it gives them a chance to just sort of step out of that managerial role for a few minutes and, you know, get back to basics and um, work on you know whatever it is that they think that they need to work on um which you know in turn makes them a better fencer and can help their students as well yeah i think there's you know there's definitely um i think that's definitely going to be true for some people i think that I think that it all depends on how much time you do dedicate to your own fencing, because like I want to be both a good instructor and a good martial artist. And, you know, that means taking the time to uh, develop myself in my own time. So like, uh, you know, I said earlier, I hate mornings. I absolutely despise mornings, but I would get up in the morning to go to the gym. And I hate going to the gym as well. <laughs> Uh, no, I do. Like, I, I hate going to the gym. Um, I don't like this isn't true of everybody. But when you get like gym bros in the gym, and I'm like, oh, whatever, man, like, I just, you know, um, there was a guy uh, before lockdown three, um, there was a guy in the gym, and I genuinely thought he needed medical help. Um, just because I was like, I was in the room, I was listening to an audiobook, 
um, I was using the kettlebells and about 20 meters away from me, there's this guy. He's just going, ah, ah, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, like he's, he's dropped weights on himself or something. Anyway, no, it was just, um, he was, he was uh, on the bench press and he had his mate recording him like while he was doing it and I'm like oh come on man you know so I mean fine I guess whatever to each their own but like I'd go to the gym in the mornings and stuff like that and as you know I train with the Academy of Historical Fencing I train with Kian as much as possible uh and different people I went up to London with you and we had that uh we had that um lovely meal where we had jambalaya and there was somebody <laughs> some famous guy because we were there with a friend oh my gosh yeah who was it oh my gosh I, i'm totally blanking was it someone from like acdc or led zeppelin or something yeah, it was something, something like that, that. If it was acdc I'm... i would have been freaking out but i don't i don't know i think it was led zeppelin maybe yeah i i think it was brian may yeah that rings a bell with the with the, like, I, I'm motioning with the hair, but you know the what hair. I mean. So. Yeah, I'm not sure it was Brian May. I just think he was guy, <laughs> and your mate was freaking out, and he's like, it's Brian May! Oh my god, it's Brian May!" <laughs> well, it's to be funny. fair, he's a musician. He's a musician. So yeah, I'd that's like fine. Think, I met your friend. I'd like to think he knows. All I remember him saying is, "Oh my god, it's Brian May!" All I about the guy, but um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like obviously that, that's time I've taken out to do my own training anyway, uh, yes, and then yeah. try and bring that to the students. Um, I think that like, and, and that's that's just, um, I mean, part of my motivation, because, you know, we were obviously talking about motivation and stuff, and it's something that I was talking to the students about, and like part of my motivation is largely my students and being able to give them the best version of myself so that, you know, so that I can say, oh, hey, it's, you know, this is how I do it. Uh, and I know this because I've tried it, you know, 10,000 times, whatever. Um, and I mean, there was a, there was something that like happened to me yesterday, um, which is I was, I, I realized that it had been a while since I'd done any sort of like hand to hand stuff. Um, so I went out the back and I've got like uh, my pal, which I use for striking sometimes. And I've got this like uh, speed ball, but um, anyway, I went to do a kick and I was rather stupidly, I was wearing my loafers, which I know have no grip, right? But I put them on because I was like, ah, oh, my trainers are at, like at the front of the house. My loafers are at the back of the house. Simple equation. I'll put on my loafers, right? So I put on my loafers. Anyway, I go to do this kick. It's It was a like quite bad measure because I was kicking with my foot, not my shin. Uh, so I smashed my foot, but then I also lost my grip. Like I lost the grip. <laughs> on my other foot and I just slipped in the rain because it was pissing it down as well uh, I slipped in the rain and I just hit the deck and I'm just lying there in the gravel laughing at myself in the rain right and I'm like I've, I've wrecked my jeans whatever and I'm kind of like lying there looking up at the looking up at the rain and stuff um, and I thought okay because I normally put stuff up on instagram like to promote the academy and just to show that you know i'm, I'm carrying like i'm continuing training and uh, sort of uh get some attention to the school and uh i thought yeah there's no way i'd post that on instagram right but then why not 
part. Yeah, there's another part of me that's uh, well, okay, so there's a part of me that thinks I don't want to post that because part of why I post on Instagram is because I want people to look at the account and go, oh, I want to train with this guy. Um, yes, this is a serious martial arts school with a serious instructor. Exactly. This guy's, this guy's, you know, this guy's doing the thing. He's dedicated. I want to train with him, right? So that's that's the promotion side of it. But then there's another side of it that's like, yeah, I should, like, I should also show when I fuck up, um, which is more frequent than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but um, I mean, I think. For people who are seeing those posts, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, or wherever, I think that in and of itself can be quite motivating. Because um, I, I know, for me personally, if it, it's like when people feel bad about their own life because they're seeing how exciting someone else's life is on Instagram. They're like, wow, this person, you know, before coronavirus this person's going to all of these places and doing all of these things and I'm not doing any of that and I, I think it's a similar sort of thing where you're only seeing the highlights and because of that it's a lot easier to compare yourself and be like well I'm never going to be as good as that so you know what's the point um, when realistically the only reason you're as good as you are you know <laughs> errors not shown on camera aside is because you've worked at it because you know I mean how long have you been doing this now and you train like basically every moment you're awake yeah well not as much as I'd like to to be honest I think winter lockdown has been been uh tough um for a lot of people and myself included um like I, I still, you know, still been training, try to train like five or six days a week. Um, but then now and again, I'm just like, I'll just hit that wall, that burnout. Because the trouble, uh, the trouble I find is that training, like training with yourself, it's, it's fine. But like normally, you know, normally my week, my week is broken up uh, with, um, training with some guys at the Academy of Historical Fencing, training with, you know, some of my students, um, sparring with my students at the Academy of Steel, uh, you know, fighting whoever I can fight if I go to, you know, if I go to a sparring event somewhere, um, like this time last year, uh, literally this time last year, I think, because, you know, memory came up on my, uh, on my Facebook thing. Um, I was with the Tree of Shields in Leeds and I just went up there to fight them and they they asked me, I felt a bit rude actually, because they said to me, like, oh hey, um, do you wanna do you wanna teach a class? And I was like, No, I don't. I just wanna fight you guys, you know? <laughs> like um I like I teach a class, like I, I teach all the time, let me fight. Uh so you know, that's that's what I ended up doing there. And um uh that was you know, that was that was grand. Um, but the thing is, you come away from those events, you know, you come away from your, your sparring time and you're like, oh, OK, you know, he nailed me in on my right shoulder a couple of times. So obviously, you know, my guard on that side isn't very good or, you know, I'm leading with my my head or my hands or whatever, and they keep getting struck. So I need to kind of like fine tune that. So that's when going out the back and kind of um, 
uh, writing a program for yourself uh, and training those things that can really help. Whereas when you just like it's day in day out going out the back doing the same cutting drills, it's you're not really helping anything. And if you are doing something wrong, because you're not getting hit, you can't figure that out. Um, it, yeah, it's probably it's... more harm than good in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's the lack of objective feedback, because if you keep getting hit on your forearm, for example, then you know that you know, there's an issue there. You need to think about why you keep getting hit on the forearm and how you can not keep getting hit on the forearm. Whereas, yeah, I think the only, I find personally that the best way for me to tell if I'm moving weirdly, because again, proprioceptive issues. So I, I can't just feel whether or not something is stable. Um, I think that it, it sounds really silly, but practicing in front of a mirror or if you're able to get someone else to give you feedback, whether that's, you know, you send them a video or, you know, you, you've got someone you live with who also does HEMA, whatever it is. Um, if you can get some sort of feedback, then that's great. But yeah, like you say, if you do just keep on doing things, I know quite a few people who are quite hesitant to do things like drills at home because they are worried that they're going to do it wrong and they're just going to, you know, they're going to be hurting themselves in the long run as well as not getting any better at their fencing. So I, I, I think it is definitely a genuine concern, but also there's not much we can do at the moment about the fact that, you know, we can't meet up and we can't spar. So tell me about proprioception. Okay. Yeah. Um, obviously it's something I, I meant I've mentioned to you a couple of times, but it's, and I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. Obviously I'm not a physiotherapist or anything. I'm not a doctor, but um, in layman's terms, I guess it's the sense of your own movement and the position of your body. So we all have these neurons in our tendons, our muscles and our joints. And they basically keep track of the movements that we do, um, our limits, how tightly we're holding on to stuff, how much force we're using to pick things up, all that sort of stuff. So the way that comes into play in daily life is keeping us physically stable and balanced, but also when planning movements. So, you know, like planning how softly or harshly to brush your hair or, you know, how hard to push when riding a bike or even just reaching for something on a high shelf. So some people have impairments um, with their proprioception. So for me, obviously, that's to do with my EDS. Um, some people will have an injury and that messes up their proprioception because now they've got a different range of movement or, you know, they're in pain and, you know, they might have some nerve problems. But yeah, whatever the reason, some people do have issues with proprioception. And it means that you end up being a lot clumsier than the standard population because you don't have that same frame of reference. So for me, I mean, I 
I accidentally slammed doors a lot, which is very bad when, um, you know, like if I have an argument with my partner, for example, and I'll, I'll leave the room and I'll accidentally slam a door and I have to shout in and be like, I, I did that by accident, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not just being salty. Um, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll pick up the milk in the fridge and I'll pick it up with too much force so it just goes slamming into the shelf above. It's, it's just dumb stuff like that. I mean, w one time I managed to dislocate my shoulder just picking up a kettle because I hadn't recognized that the way that I was positioned wasn't stable. Um, you know, I've managed to dislocate various parts of my body just turning over in bed. It's completely mad. So. As you can imagine, it's not really helpful when you're participating in a combat sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I remember um, Bucklathon when, I, like, I was like, "Good luck in your pools," and you went and you were doing fine. And I sort of like, it was almost like uh, a, a kind of comedy, I guess, because I turned away, I turned back again, and you just like came back in a sling. And I was <laughs> like, "What happened?" <laughs> Yeah, well, I think because that morning, actually, before I even got to the competition, I'd already dislocated my shoulder. And technically, you're not supposed to put these things back by yourself, but sometimes they do sort of slip back in place. And because it happens so frequently with me, I do end up shoving them back into place myself. Mm. Um, but again, not a doctor and not recommending that to anyone if you dislocate anything obviously go to the hospital <laughs> yeah i mean like um i heard this harrowing story at one point and it was basically i think i've told you about this there was a fellow who they were doing like leg locks and a guy got his leg dislocated while grappling uh and this was i don't know if it was in um the the crab Maga class that i was taking part in before i joined or, you know, it was just um, my instructor was telling me about, an, you know, something that he'd witnessed somewhere else or whatever. Uh, but anyway, somebody dislocated their leg and his um, his partner, his sparring partner turned around and said, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I know, you know, I know how to uh, relocate joints and everything. Anyway, he pops this guy's leg back into uh, place and the guy just starts screaming. He is like, you know, he's just screaming. The guy is like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Anyway, they took him to the hospital because they could like this guy, you know, they couldn't make uh, sense of what he was saying. He was just he was just in agony. Uh, anyway, it turns out that as they'd popped the uh, the joint back in the socket, he'd caught his testicle in the oh. yes i know right so he oh, caught no. his testicle in it and like when they popped it in it just kind of like it all got mashed up together so oh. i know so if i got my leg dislocated and somebody tried to relocate it i'd be kicking them off with the good <laughs> leg probably with the dislocated leg as well i'd be like trying <laughs> to kick them with everything going now get the fuck off me um so i mean with um proprioception is this something that you know because if it's something that we see in HEMA and other combat sports um I guess you know I guess what would be the best way to accommodate somebody like that in their training 
um, how, you know, if somebody were listening and they had proprioception, you know, how, how would it, um, how could we sort of encourage them to train? What kind of training regime would be best for them? So obviously, if people have issues with their proprioception, you know, it's a case by case basis. It depends on why they've got issues with their proprioception a lot of the time. But say, for example, it's someone who's chronically ill and, you know, has proprioceptive issues all over and not just, for example, in one arm, then, although actually, I guess this applies as well. Um, yeah, if people have proprioceptive issues, there are actually exercises that you can do to try and work on it. Um, so that's something that um, a physiotherapist might go over with them if, you know, if they are doing physio, but um, it's also something that you can just sort of look up online. Um, and those can be very helpful because, I mean, it's it's weird for me because I've always had issues with my proprioception um, so I don't really have the same frame of reference as say someone who has injured themselves and has issues because of that but um, yeah there are loads of things you can do so like um, single leg stuff so literally just balancing on one leg um, and then when you're decent enough at that without being too wobbly or falling over you can do single leg squats as well which it's not something that I've mastered yet, but I'm hopefully on my way there. Um, some people do cone exercises. So you've got to put a cone down in front of you and you've got to sort of lean forward and put one leg back sort of in the air, as it were, as you reach down for the cone. Um, you know, for, for shoulders, people can do stuff with exercise balls and people can do stuff against a wall. There, there is a lot that you can do and it does depend on whether the issue is all over or if it's just in one place. But it's something that you can work on. It's just, you know, it's going to be a long process. Um, in terms of things like HEMA, obviously just working on these issues in general is going to be helpful for when you're having those issues with things like HEMA but um, one thing that I found quite difficult is knowing whether or not I'm actually not hitting hard enough but putting enough force into the strike for it to seem intentional as opposed to just sort of glancing across someone you know um which obviously isn't helped by the fact that I am quite weak but um that's that that's something that I've struggled with but it, the more you practice um drilling and just sort of practice going through the motions um that's really helpful and obviously you do get feedback when you're sparring people and yeah I mean I I don't know anyone really who hits too hard or anything like that it's more the opposite issue of not putting enough force into the strike so yeah it's there's a lot you can do to work on it um I, but I think the main issue is realizing that you do have that issue in the first place and once you're there it's easy to work on although you know you've got to keep at it do it every day that sort of thing but yeah, once you're aware that 
that is the issue and you're not just weak or you're not just clumsy it's you know it's quite reassuring but also it it, it does mean you've got a lot of work to do yeah i think um there are a couple of people that i've encountered with you know different issues and they have to kind of find their own markers if that makes sense yes so for example yeah. you know if you've got somebody who uh they they know that they shouldn't be pushing past certain boundaries um you know then they need to they need to find different maybe visual um markers for themselves so one of my students kian i've trained him since he was 13 14 he has no depth perception um so you know he has a visual impairment which means that he can't like he doesn't have everything's just a flat image to him so his way of um his sort of visual markers are going to be different and so he has to kind of um find that for himself and in hema in terms of hema that can be you know in the bind in fooling um you know feeling that pressure from another person's sword and you know things like that as i mentioned there are um, some students i have with dyspraxia and so they have to you know they yeah uh they have to sort of um depend on different kind of markers and you know i, I think with I, I think you put it best when you say it's a case by case thing because ultimately that's true of every student uh, yes yeah. yeah everyone learns at different paces and everyone has different methods that suit them best as well yeah absolutely and uh, you know and that comes down to you know that's a lot of different factors you'll get some people who are just uh, fitter than others um and they've you know they've been doing sports their whole lives so coordination is is you know easier for them um and then you get others who've never been interested in sport they're picking it up for the first time there's nothing necessarily um you know holding them back in terms of uh having a disability but it's just that these aren't things that they've learned since infancy or since you know a young age so it's mm. taking them longer to pick it up um i you know i think it's like language really when you're a kid you, you know what i languages. was yeah, yeah. I, I was just gonna say it's the same sort of thing because i obviously i know quite a few people who speak other languages and it's it was a lot easier for them because they picked it up as kids whereas you know if people try learning languages in say their 30s or 40s it, it's a lot more difficult it can be done it's just you know it, it's not as it's it, it's not as natural you know there's a lot more work that goes into it yeah yeah your, your mind's more plastic when you're when you're a kid it's just the focus is the problem like i so i've been trying to teach my nephews because they're like oh teach you know uh teach us how to how to fight with swords one of them i think the oldest is nine right um maybe ten no that can't be right it doesn't matter whatever right <laughs> they're they're younger than me that's all i know um and they just like their focus is it's like you know five minute stretches and yeah. then it's like okay now i've got to run in a circle for <laughs> 10 minutes and it's like okay cool you do that and i'll be i'll be sitting down you know drinking my coffee yeah my existential crisis <laughs> my nine-year-old sister is quite a bit like that and she loves the idea of 
learning sword fighting. But what she really likes is that she gets to hit me and my brother. Like that's that's the part that does it for her. So you know she'll we'll show her a few guards um, and a few cuts, that sort of thing. But within a few minutes, she's you know she wants to either hit us or she wants to go play with something. It's you know yeah like you say it's the small bursts. So I completely <laughs> get that. And yeah, I mean. I think also as a neurodivergent adult, I I empathize with that <laughs> quite a bit more than I'd like to be honest. <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's funny because I was talking to a mate of mine who runs a martial arts school and he um, you know he runs a class for kids and I was like, oh, I don't know, that sounds like hell on earth to me. And I was like, how like how's that? And he was like, Yeah, it's good, like it's rewarding to to see their progress. And again, like with language, like we said, their their minds are you know, their minds are more plastic and open to uh new ideas, new concepts normally as as children. Um he said, but the problem is is when you get a parent turn up say oh hey yeah by the way i'm gonna be an hour late and i gave them a bag of skittles so enjoy and they just <laughs> they just kind of treat it like a daycare center uh mm. sort of thing um so yeah i think like my nephew i i love my nephews they're great and um one of them is uh doing capoeira Oh wow! And, okay. Yeah, and they're amazing. They're doing like backflips and cartwheels and all sorts of shit like that. I can't, you know, I couldn't do in a million years. Um, <laughs> well, not with that attitude. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm too bloody nah. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, but the funny thing is, like, um, uh, I, 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 I'm a little bit rough with them right yeah. just because uh, like because the thing is a 10 year old like if you watch a 10 year old kick a football right there's there can be quite a bit of force behind it right mm -hmm. so uh my 10 year old nephew or however old he is right, <laughs> throwing these kicks and he's like really really talented um he's like throwing these kicks at me and at one point uh we were we were rough housing a little bit and i could tell that he was getting quite like he was getting quite angry he had that face he's bearing his a little bit anyway so he kicked me in the leg right uh in you know in the thigh and it was like i was like oh okay that smarted a bit actually right and then i could see by his face he was going to do it again because he was like he was getting riled up so yeah. he did it again and i checked it with my shin right <laughs> so i just like checked his kick and he just dropped and he's like ah oh, my leg and i was like yeah what did you learn um and it was like the lesson was like don't you know don't get too uh, don't get too aggressive and don't get too like stuff like that when you're just playing a game whatever and i mean this is a lesson i need to learn because now and again i'm just like you know i could tell like i, I i'm getting like a little bit uh, hot-headed about something um, getting competitive with a 10 year old <laughs> yeah yeah well no it wasn't with really, yeah it's, <laughs> <laughs> um but it's you know it's it's one of those things that i think at like the better we get at identifying these kind of things uh, at a younger age, you know, the more we can help people in sports. Mm. Um, like with, you know, like with teaching in general, like at yeah. one point, you know, so I mentioned Kian, the fact that he has this, um, this visual impairment, it meant that he like, he had to, as a kid, 
um, you had to focus a lot more than the other students and you found it a lot harder to focus. And so people like a lot of his teachers were like, oh, you're not paying attention. You need to fucking pay attention and shit. And it's like, well, you know, I'm trying, but they haven't been able to identify the fact that he has, um, you know, these visual impairments, the fact that he has dyslexia and, and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and, and that's a that's a huge problem um, for somebody who, you know, is given no kind of, you know, no, no kind of leg up or anything. And I think yeah. that that's going to be the same for, uh, you know, especially in sports and sports sciences, the more we're able to identify this stuff, the more we'll be able to help people, um, you know, down the line and give them, you know, give them a longer and better kind of run up to, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of, again, like you say, in terms of teaching with things like students with additional needs and yeah, in terms of sports, I think especially if it's not glaringly obvious or disruptive, it's not something that gets caught very early on. So for example, uh, kids with ADHD, um, boys are more likely in general to be the hyperactive type whereas girls tend to be a little bit more inattentive so and obviously you know that this is just generalizing but if you're a kid who's the more hyperactive type and you're a lot louder and you're a lot more disruptive in class then teachers are more likely to look at those issues and think okay is it behavioral is it behavioral and there's a reason for it you know what's what's going on here and how can we how can we support them whereas if you've got a kid who just zones out a lot or you know stares out the window or is really hyper focused on this one thing but doesn't focus on the rest of their subjects it's it, it's not something that you think about it as, as much because that that sort of behavior does fly under the radar a lot and I think in general people are getting better at recognizing when those issues do occur but you know it, it, it's going to be a long process and you know it's it's difficult but um yeah, so then in terms of sports and things, I think, again, it's that same thing of if it's not glaringly obvious, you know, if people aren't having, you know, let's say spasms or something, or they're not in a wheelchair, that sort of thing, um, it, it can be difficult to identify that there is an issue, which in turn is very frustrating for whoever it is that's having these issues because obviously when you haven't pinpointed that there is this issue and you're not getting support for it it's very frustrating because you know you think you know oh you know I'm just stupid how am I not getting this everyone else is getting along with this fine it's taking me a lot more time you know why can't I do this um and it's a shame because because of that, a lot of people with um, additional needs, whether that's, again, in the classroom or in sports, a lot of people with these issues will give up on something because they're not aware that they just need that additional support. Um, so I think it is really important that 
it is something that's addressed and that instructors do what they can to accommodate those students. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I mean, you know, this, there's always going to be physical differences between anybody, you know, like if we look at it from a HEMA standpoint, there's going to be physical differences. Like uh, I was talking to Fran about this um, when, when she was on, um, we were talking about the fact that I'm about a foot taller than she is maybe um at least <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but like we have a fight and you know if if not evenly matched she's generally putting me on the back foot kind of thing you know um yeah. and that's you know that's uh down to her experience most likely of fighting people who are taller than she is or, you know yeah i mean everyone's taller than fran yeah, she's, exactly. so, she's got a lot of experience with that <laughs> yeah precisely so i think you know uh, um part of it would be and i'm kind of oversimplifying it here but i know that when i use my side sword for example which has a very narrow blade it's very light if i try to bind on with somebody who has a big chunky meaty blade Thick. I'm yeah, like a thick blade. I'm probably going to lose the bind more than I win it due to the fact that they've just got more presence than I do. They can just rely on the weight of the sword to do the work for them. And so my movements are going to be a lot smaller, a lot kind of quicker within, uh, you know, a narrower space. And I'm, I'm going to be binding on less, or at the very least, I'm going to be seeking to put like the strong of my sword against the weak of theirs and just let my sword do the work for me. Um, and I think hopefully if people can within, you know, within the frame of um, movement that's possible to them, if they can sort of like master that and say, okay, well, for example, you know, uh, everybody I fight is taller than me. So I'm going to adjust the way that I fight from kind of a, you know, this level raise it a little bit so that I'm fighting, you know, here in a kind of raised stance rather than a, you know, a sort of neutral stance. And then they kind of adjust to what they're going to face on average. Um, then, you know, that's, I think that would be a way forward. I think it would be a step forward and just being patient with yourself as well. Um, which I think is very, that's the hardest thing. And in terms of martial arts, like the road to mastery, if you, you know, if, uh, enlightenment. Yeah, the road to enlightenment, uh, the, the path is just, it's just littered with the bodies of people who have kind of given up because, it, you know, uh, they, I'd say a majority of them gave up on themselves, yeah. you know, uh, because it, because they lost faith in themselves or because um you know because of things like that like there are a few people i know that have given up on a particular martial art because they just took too bad of a beating and they were like well i've got to go you know most people have day jobs they've got to go to work the next day if they're going in with like a concussion and a broken nose and all that sort of stuff then that doesn't work for them you know what i mean but yeah. for for most people, it's it's just uh, it's not that it necessarily got too hard because they're willing to put the work in, um, you know. In my experience, anyway, it's just that yeah, they kind of lost faith in themselves, and that's that's tricky. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think that's something that 
a lot of people struggle with and it it's hard to say you know oh you know you should believe in yourself because it's like oh great wow thanks okay I guess I believe in myself you know it, it doesn't work like that it's you know, you can't go up to someone who's like depressed, for example, and say, just be happy. And suddenly they're cured. And oh, I hate it, that when people say, oh, smile, it might never happen. And you're like, I hope you fucking have a bad day. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I hope you feel a sneeze coming and it just never arrives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think for me personally, something that sort of helped me in terms of accepting that I have a lot of obstacles and, you know, things are going to take a long time is actually, and I know it sounds very like hippie or whatever, but um, I started doing yoga and with yoga, you've got to be quite gentle with yourself because you know, the point with yoga, I mean, part of it anyway, is you're trying to increase your flexibility. And if you push yourself too hard, you are going to really hurt yourself. And that is dumb. And you shouldn't do that. And so that was quite helpful for me, because I knew my limits. And, you know, I, I didn't push further than was necessary. You know, I didn't push to the point of genuine pain or injury mm. and obviously like I, I I have some apps and I'll watch YouTube videos or whatever and as the the instructors there doing all these poses and just bending themselves in half in various positions they're like it's okay if you can't get this far I'm like yeah it's easy for you to say isn't it <laughs> like doing a fraction of what they're doing and yeah at first it's frustrating because you know you see the differences but then it's like well hang on I've only just started this and they've been doing this for 20 years of course they're better than me like what do you expect and yeah it's just sort of slowly getting better and better at both you know the flexibility aspect but also accepting the fact that it is going to be a long process and that that's perfectly normal and natural um I've also been doing meditation and um do you know Elisa I think her surname on Facebook is Bess or something like that um she's <laughs> Elisa Bess yeah she uh she does HEMA in France but she's also a sort of coach and she does a lot of well-being stuff and she did a few sessions for people in the Hema in Pajamas group where we'd sort of talk about you know sort of general stress and anxiety and you know if we're feeling overwhelmed and the sort of things that we do to combat that and the main thing that seems to be common is just that that goal of acceptance you know like if if you're feeling a bad emotion you know whether you're angry or upset whatever it is if you push it down and act like it's not a problem that makes things worse in the long run whereas if you just sort of accept yes I'm feeling this thing you can it's easier to move past it and 
I, I think it's quite similar in terms of everything else that we've been talking about as well. Mm. Um, just oh, yeah. because, yeah, you've got to, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. And, um, you know, uh, especially during lockdown. And I think it's good that you have things like humor and pajamas, which keeps people kind of uh, connected in that way. And so as we discussed, um, or, you know, like we were saying, the fact that, you know, people can, um, people know that they're not suffering alone, if that makes sense, yes. like, you know, yeah. you're feeling pent up, you, you know, you go on humor in pajamas, somebody's there going, I'm fucking pissed off. And you're like, yes, okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, it is, it is pretty much, um, it is pretty much a case of like, uh, laugh and the whole world laughs with you weep and you weep alone you feel that way a lot of the time but then you realize that like you're not the only one and you know there like a lot of people are uh yeah a lot of people are, are, are trapped right now and it you know for, in the in our case we're in cardiff cardiff is a pretty small city it's it's you know there are a lot of parks it's nice and open um you know uh, and you can you can go for a stroll whatever in my case i've got a back garden area where i can train it's not a garden it's like a parking spot but it's it's the, <laughs> close the, enough yeah exactly it's enough room for me to swing a sword so i'm happy um whereas a lot of people if you're on you know the top floor of an apartment in london and you're you know and you're miles away from like a tree like you, know, you look out the window and if you squint you can maybe see a tree somewhere you're like there it is I, I knew i knew there was a i knew there was a bit of green around here somewhere that's got to be that's got to be really rough so i think humor in pajamas has been a, a massive help to people yeah and you also get people who for whatever reason can't make it to the sparring days and things it's community but it's also you know i i want to get to know all of you and i want to hit all of you in the face and you know there is no higher compliment in HEMA yeah yeah I like so it's quite funny because I met one of my like best HEMA friends I suppose you know like somebody that you know like I I, I hang out with him socially as well and I have done a, a big Sam Sam Aykroyd from oh here. yeah yeah I love Sam um, it's quite funny I I can't <laughs> who said it um but it's it, I, I think it might have been Carmen who you know um yeah. one of my students who turned around and said um oh it's quite funny because you know Sam Aykroyd he's really nice and he wears all white and you're well you know and you wear all black <laughs> and I was like <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, but like, so Sam, I met because we, uh, I was training with the AHF and um, he overheard me saying that I was going to, uh, going to fight camp. And he said, oh, I'm going to fight camp as well. Um, do you want to lift and we'll share petrol money? And I was like, oh, thank God. Cause I didn't know. How I, was <laughs> I was like, yes, that would be amazing. Um, so we got in the car and we headed off. Um, we headed off to fight camp, and we basically just talked about Star Wars the whole way there. It was great, yes. and um, 
uh, we were talking about how, because neither one of us had met Matt Easton at this point, and we were talking about how we were going to wind him up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, anyway, we got there and I was talking to Melissa um, and he said, I'm going to go socialize. And I went, okay, cool. So he goes off. And uh, anyway, I finished talking to Melissa and about 20 minutes later, Sam comes back and he's, and uh, I'm like, hey, what happened? And he went, well, I went up to the, um, I went up to the, the sort of area, the kind of like uh, tent where all the, uh, where everybody gets together to have beers and, you know, sit down and have a chat and everything. He went up there, he put his hands on his hips, he looked around and he went, yep, this is what people look like. And then he just went, yes. <laughs> And I was like, I was talking to her because I was like, yeah, that's the kind of thing I'd probably do as well. But I was like, you do realize that everybody up there is socially awkward, right? Like, you're socially... Yeah, we're all complete nerds. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you're socially awkward. I'm socially awkward. We'll go up there. It will just be a massive collection of socially awkward people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I, I think it, it's quite interesting. Um seeing the way that humor friendships form um i know um that there are two clubs that i know of in oxford and one of them's oxford sword and staff and um you know robin dando um yeah the I, i'm i'm sure i've told you this before but the first time i actually had a conversation with him was at one of the tournament events and he's been fighting for ages and yeah he's sweaty he's out of breath and he's just peeling all of this gross equipment off of him puts his sword down I don't say a word to him I just pass him a LucasAids sport and honestly like he looked at me like I had just saved his life it was <laughs> it, it, it was it, it it was great and he was like you are an angel and yeah we just like that was my first proper interaction with him and I still remember that just because it was something so simple but it yeah the the way that you start interacting with people at these events is always you know whether it's perfectly normal or very strange it just it the way that it leads to these friendships and you know people people will then you know you you do something small for someone like say oh yeah you know I I thought you fenced well there or whatever and suddenly you know they're they're inviting you to stay around their house whenever they're yeah. whenever you're you're in town and stuff like that it's great like everyone really like it's a really close-knit community like it can help people in HEMA whether it helps them with their fencing or just you know feeling a bit more positive in these really weird coronavirus filled times it's yeah it's it's really lovely yeah and I think it's quite interesting as well seeing how people have responded to not being able to do it especially because people will complain to me and they'll be like oh I haven't I haven't sparred anyone in months and then they'll just remember who they're talking to and be like <laughs> oh I'm I'm so sorry it's like no it's it, you're allowed to you're allowed to miss sparring just because I've missed sparring for longer doesn't mean you're not allowed to miss it at all you know 
um and it's and it's actually i find at least it's been something that's been quite uniting because people you know perfectly mentally healthy able-bodied people are now unable to go to HEMA classes and spa people and all of this so I'm just so like, <laughs> not in a horrible I was gonna say I, I don't mean it I, I don't mean it like you know ha now now you see how <laughs> it feels um you know I mean I won't lie it's quite it, it's quite nice though seeing these people who are able to do these things also struggling with the lack of motivation or the lack of classes and all of that because it sucks that we're all going through this but we are all going through it together which is something that I think for a lot of because there are quite a few people with disabilities in HEMA um, but we're quite spread out around different clubs throughout the world it's not like you know we're all in a couple of clubs in a few different cities you know it's we're everywhere but um (laughs) I think having this experience has been quite nice at least for me I can't speak for everyone but it's been quite nice because before it was really it it was quite ice I felt quite isolated in a lot of ways and you know people people can try and be compassionate and everything but at the end of the day if they're not going through the same struggle that you're going through there's only so much that they can actually understand and empathize with and so having this experience where everybody's sort of you know stuck in a rut or everyone's struggling with this and that it it sucks but knowing that everyone's in it together I think has been one of the driving forces behind things like Hema in pajamas because everyone still wanted that sense of community that you get from sparring days and tournaments and so on and because we've all sort of got this it's like shared trauma almost you know it's that it's it's that whole thing of you know I'm having a hard time of this and then someone else will say oh yeah me too and people people are being really encouraging of one another and people are lifting each other up and people are saying hey you're not the only one who can't fit into your fencing jacket. It's fine. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Where yeah, I'm no, I, I, I think you're right. I think that, you know, on a sort of, I guess on a comparative thing, it's, this is, you know, like this is our Vietnam. Like we'll get the next generation of humorists who will come in like in a few years, whatever, when this whole thing is hopefully in our rear view window. And yeah. they'll be talking about like, oh, you know, um yeah so most uh, like my instructor went away so i don't get to spa for like two weeks or whatever you know i will be like fuck you man like you weren't there you weren't there in 2020 when the shit hit the fan and then just it just kept hitting the fan there was a big baguette of shit that just kept hitting the fan yeah um right i'm gonna wrap this up where can people find Hema in pajamas 
Well, you go onto Facebook, uh -huh. you click on the search bar, yeah. and you type in Hema in Pajamas, and it will come up. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. That's that's all it takes. Um, the, the only the only one thing is that because at the start of, I mean, you've listened to Blades for Days, so you know that when I introduce people, I introduce people by their full name. So I'm going to need to know <laughs> how to say your last name. No, it's it's fine. Honestly, pronounce it however you think is best. There is no wrong answer. Okay, so I'm going to go with uh, Helena Coco Veryard. Veryard. Of course you put Coco in there. I, yeah. I, I thought we were going to make it through this entire thing without a coconut reference, but no, nope. never mind. No, nope, there okay. we are. <laughs> if you're interested in finding out more about historical European martial arts, visit academyofsteel.com. Or if you want to get in touch with us, you can shoot a message over to info at academyofsteel.com. Or you can check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.